Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. On this episode, every year the Maltos Falcons help the Los Angeles County Fair with their homemade beer competition. This year's winner, Mike Hale of the High Desert Brewers Anonymous, won for his beer called Cruise Crumbs, a pecan coffee cake imperial stout. Now, whether you love them or think they're overrated hype monsters, pastry stouts are hot. I sat down with Mike and his partner in crime, Brandon Pesavento, and broke down Cruise Crumbs and the pastry stout trend in general. So sit back, it's time for dessert. But first, a message from our sponsors. Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, it's time to replace that old dog-eared copy, because our friends at Brewers Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor, or buy it from the Brewers Association store if you want to get the book and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at BrewersPublications.com. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. sitting here outdoors in lovely San Gabriel, Southern California, uh, at one of my favorite places to ever go have a beer and a sandwich, the Stuff Sandwich. And I am sitting here with Mike and Brandon. Mike and Brandon, introduce yourselves to the audience. Hey, I'm Mike Hale. And I'm Brandon Pesavento. And you guys are with? Uh, High Desert Homebrewers Anonymous. All right. Well, the first question's first. Uh, how'd you like your, your sandwich here at the Stuff Sandwich? Oh, man, the sandwich was amazing, but, but I mean, their beer selection was even more amazing. So that's that's what I'm most impressed with, I think. Yeah, th- this is one of my favorite places to introduce people to because it's so relatively unknown. And yet every time every beer lover comes into it, they go, what? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, deer in headlights for sure. Definitely a blast from the past too because there's a lot of cool signage and um, glassware, barware, stuff like that. So it's like a museum of wonderful beer for sure. Yeah, and, and you can take just about anything that's here to go. So uh, by all means, come to the Stuff Sandwich in San Gabriel. No, they're not sponsoring us. No, they're not paying us anything. I just love it. Do it. This is the Brew Files, and obviously we like to talk about brewing here on the Brew Files. So why are we here? What are, what are we about to talk about? Um, well, I had a beer, and uh, we entered it into the L.A. County Fair, and uh, it, it ended up taking best of show, surprisingly. I think the largest county fair anywhere in the U.S., which of course makes sense because L.A. County is kind of a small county, right? Let's talk about the beer because I think this is going to lead us into a discussion about sort of a super hot style uh, that people are having. And actually, you know what? Before we even start talking about the beer, we should probably have some of it in our glasses. Let's do that. Uh, the magical sound. Let's lay the groundwork as this beer is coming into our glasses because this is obnoxiously dark. So what do we have in front of us? Okay, so what I have here is a 10% ABV Imperial Stout. Um, I took that and aged it in a bourbon barrel for about a month and a half. Uh, and then once it was done with the bourbon barrel, I took it and recirculated on top of the adjuncts for a couple of days. And this is what we got. And the beer's name is? It is called Crew Crumbs. Crew Crumbs. And what's yes. the history behind the beer? This beer started life as a, uh, a collaboration brew that actually, uh, another club that I belong to, the Brew Crew, What's up, brew crew? Uh, we got to go brew this with uh, the brewery down in Anaheim. Um, and it was a collaboration brew, so obviously I had the recipe, scaled it down to my system, and, and uh, brewed it, and this is what we got. And so I think this would be best classified as a, an example of sort of the hot new style or one of the best-selling styles that's around, you know, a good old-fashioned uh, pastry stout. Yes, sir. Because th this not only has a uh, bourbon barrel in it, this also has kind of all the flavors of a cinnamon roll or coffee cake going on as well. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what it was modeled after. Uh, we really wanted to bring like a coffee cake kind of thing in. So uh, we threw in some roasted pecans. Uh, I actually did roasted Saigon cinnamon and then uh, some uh, Madagascar bourbon vanilla as well. Well, and you said 10%? Yeah, I was aiming for about 10%. I'd, I'd say it's probably a little bit lower. My gravities were a little low. This was, uh, this was one of the biggest beers I've ever brewed, so I kind of missed my, my scale there a little. That happens. But what I'm getting out of this is sort of a big, rich, round. Right up front, there's a big sweet note that makes you kind of think, oh, this is going to be sort of cloying. But then all that cinnamon comes in. The vanilla actually adds a mouthfeel. And then I think the bourbon barrels in the back end really kind of help cutting the beer down and pulling it into something kind of more of a dry finish. Yeah, yeah. I, you'd be surprised how much bourbon was actually in this beer before I put the adjuncts in, really. Um, it was a lot more than this. So now, was it a small barrel? Um, yeah, it was only a five-gallon barrel, a Barclays barrel, I think. So, uh, or is it Barclays? Yeah, something like it's that. a barrel. It's a barrel. It's a five-gallon <laughs> barrel. Five-gallon barrel, and you said just for like six weeks or so? Uh, it was about six weeks, yep. Well, because, I mean, those small barrels, they impart so much character so quick. Right, yeah, surface-to-volume to ratio and such. Uh, you know, I, I just kept tasting it every once in a while and felt it was good. I think I think next time I'll go a little bit more knowing what I know now as far as uh, how much the adjuncts cut the character down of the barrel. I, I'd probably leave the next one in a little longer, but uh, I've got no complaints with this for sure. The barrel character isn't screamingly obvious in this, but I think also with the way this beer presents itself, I I'm, I'm almost don't even think that you need to have it be screamingly obvious. I would agree. I mean, this is 
I know a lot of people out there give a, a, a lot of crap about the idea of the, these pastry sauce, these things that aren't tasting like beer, you know, what happened to beer flavored beer. And yeah, there are a lot of them out there that are questionable in terms of their, their flavor, but this is actually fairly well constructed so that you get the experience that you're going for that, you know, cinnamon roll, coffee cake without getting in the way of also some of the stout characters in there. I mean, you still get the roast. I mean, the roast is still there. It reads like a stout. You certainly don't get the fact that this is around, you know, a nine to 10% beer because boy, howdy. It's dangerous. When I had it on tap, it was, uh, it was pretty hard to stop pulling. So how much, <laughs> how much of this did you make? Just five gallons? Um, I made just five gallons. Yeah. I've actually got the second version of this in the barrels now. Um, I had to make some substitutions in the grain bill just because I didn't have access to the same grains and everything. I didn't have it on hand, but, uh, still came out pretty good. Well, so why don't we get into the grain bill, you know, and the specs? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, here, I'll just run down the, the gamut here. So I've got 35% uh, Golden Promise, 23% Pale Malt from Great Western. Uh, then we get into the Caramels. We're going to do 8.5% of Caramunic 2. Uh, got 7.6% of Flaked Oats, 5.7% Midnight Wheat. Got 4.2% kiln coffee. That's Franco Bledge's kiln coffee. I actually used uh, a different co- kiln coffee in the the next version, and uh, I'll be going back to the Franco this this time, this next time for sure. That, that Franco uh, co- coffee malt is actually a really nice malt. It's kind it's, of an under undersung hero. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think it was. Uh, I think the new one I used was was Patagonia maybe, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a lot harsher. It, you get a lot more coffee notes. It's, uh, I mean, which is good, I guess it's a coffee malt, but uh, it just doesn't give the same character as the uh, Franco does. 4.2% uh, Simpsons Double Roasted Crystal. Uh, and then 1.9% Chateau Chocolate from Castle. A lot of different roasts, a lot of different dark characters coming in here. But nothing uh, nothing that's being overpowering. Right. And then we said five gallons at what, what gravity? Five gallons at uh, 1.115. So not a small beer. Not a small beer, no. And was that what you actually hit, or was that what your target was? Uh, that was my target. I think I hit uh, 1.110 is about what I hit. You should hang your head in shame as a brewer. For I know, I know. Much. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll drink another beer for that. <laughs> uh, mash, we said, was? Uh, mash temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So... Just a single infusion? Yeah, single infusion mash. I went in kind of high just because uh, the system I brewed this on doesn't necessarily hold temperature as well as I'd like it to. So I knew it was going to drop. Uh, I actually hit 158, and by the time my mash was done, I was about 153. And so what sort of system are you brewing on? I've upgraded since I brewed this, but um, this one was actually a 72-quart Coleman cooler. Awesome, you know, homebrew system there. But uh, I've upgraded since, and I have a 20-gallon uh, stainless steel kettle that I use now. See, now, th- that's interesting, because I, I don't think I've ever heard very many people talk about, like, i got to be careful when you have a cooler about the temperature loss that you have. I mean, this seems to be, like, one of the big reasons people like them. You know, I seem to be the only one that has that issue, but I, it happens every single time. I can count on it. I can mark my clock by it. Like, I'm going to lose 5 to 6 degrees every single time, no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's 80 degrees outside or 110. Now, I wonder if it's our area, too, because I have, you know, the basic igloo you know orange cooler and i pretty much have the same problems as well so i mean at this time i'm trying to create a mash tun that i can actually keep the temperature raise the temperature without well i mean you guys are in the desert it shouldn't be <laughs> there shouldn't be a problem with yeah, you with cooling things down but even during that, the hot, right <laughs> even during the the hot summer days it's it still loses the efficiency so oh well, yeah i was gonna say no matter how hot it is actually in hesperia it's not quite mash temperature hot <laughs> no 
what about the the hops and adjuncts? Okay, so um, oh, you know what? I forgot to mention. Um, I did actually add uh, about a pound and a half of maltodextrin and about a pound of dextrose, just to try and bump up that mouthfeel. Just to kind of bump up the mouthfeel. Yeah. Um, in the second version of this, I did. I actually substituted out instead of adding the maltodextrin and the dextrose. I just bumped up the the base grains a little bit, a little bit more flaked oats and that kind of stuff. I really kind of liked the way that came out. As far as mouthfeel goes, a little bit better. All right, and so hops. Um, hops. 1.85 ounces of Magnum at 60 minutes. That's it. Done. Well, I mean, that's all you need for something like this. Yeah, you know, the hops aren't really the star of the show here. It's it's the adjuncts. So um, adjuncts are really what's uh, what's kind of cool. I uh, I took a clue from Andrew at the brewery there, uh, and he recirculates on top of, I don't know, I hope I'm allowed to say that, Andrew, sorry if I'm not. He recirculates on top of uh, his adjuncts in secondary. So I bought a pump on Amazon, a diaphragm pump, mm-hmm. and recirculated these and just kept tasting it. First day came out pretty good. These, these were circulated on top of the adjuncts for two days, and I think flavor came out pretty awesome. Uh, it was two pounds of roasted pecans that I uh, roasted myself, ground them up, and, and roasted uh, like, like probably three times at about 220, 250. Got a nice little roast character. I think I'd roast them a little bit more, a little bit longer next time. Um, also had some roasted Saigon cinnamon. I didn't roast that myself. I just bought it roasted. Um, and it was just powdered cinnamon, no sticks or anything like that. And I actually put nine vanilla beans in secondary, Madagascar vanilla. It's kind of an expensive proposition there. <laughs> it kind of was, except it's vanilla that I bought quite a few years ago and have just kept in in sealed bags and uh so when i bought it i think i bought a quarter pound for like 25 30 dollars or something and now i go back online and you know sticker shock pretty amazing yeah i I think i still have a couple of organic vanilla beans left over from a bulk order that it was about the same thing and yeah yeah, right the last time i went to go look i was like oh god i don't want to do vanilla anymore So let's back up and let's talk about the the recirculation. So you're doing this in secondary fermentation? Um, yeah. So after it went out of the barrel, I've just got another uh, another five, six gallon uh, wide mouth carboy that I put it in, and uh, I cut holes in the lids for uh, some hoses, and just put one at the bottom, one at the top, and recirculated right on top of that. I bagged my adjuncts so uh, make sure it wasn't clogging up the pump at all, um, and just sat it for two days in the fridge. So two days in the fridge, diaphragm pump just constantly going. For listeners who don't know, a diaphragm pump is sort of a food-safe way of pumping, you know, effectively rolls along the hose. You know, there's a segment of hose in there, and it just the rollers just keep pushing liquid forward, so there's no impeller, there's no contact with the, the food, and it's just kind of considered to be a food-safe way of doing this, and doesn't usually need priming, and... It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and they're quiet little buggers, too. They are, you know, and the cool thing is, is there's no oxidation with that kind of a pump, you know. Um, with if, if I use like a March pump or any kind of brewer pump, you, you definitely have the chance of cavitation in the pump and getting some air into the lines, and you just don't want to chance that with this kind of beer, you know. Yeah, and, and the diaphragm pumps are also very gentle, and right. they're, they're relatively slow. Like, you compare, like, oh, you know, what a March pump can do, you know, a, a diaphragm pump seems almost internally slow, but for this sort of thing that you're doing... doesn't matter. Now, have you ever done it without trying to do the circulation, or...? I, I have not done any big adjuncts out like this without trying to do the circulation. No, this was uh, this was kind of an experiment, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. And it, I think it worked out pretty good. I don't I don't honestly know if I'm going to try it again without the diaphragm pump. All of those flavors, the cinnamon, the vanilla, you know, all that are very, very clean. You know, they come through, you know, the pecans are kind of a background note. It's not like, hey, pecan. The funny thing about the pecans is when it was fresh on tap, 
that was like the very first flavor you tasted. I mean, it was like pecans up in your face. It was really good. It was really good. I liked it a lot. Um, but it's kind of mellowed out a little bit and everything kind of melded into one. And I don't know, now it's a, a pretty smooth, easy drinking beer. I like it. Mostly where I get the pecans is on that sort of last little bit of the taste. When you, when you do that final swallow and you breathe back out, then suddenly it's like, you know, the gas of pecans. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and you almost an oiliness kind of. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what sort of yeast are we talking about here? Uh, this was San Diego Super Yeast. Okay, so just clean, neutral, yep. uh, get her done yeast. Yep. Anything special about the water chemistry? So water chemistry is actually um, something I feel very strongly about. And everybody listening, if you haven't taken a dive into water chemistry, I would highly recommend it. It's not as hard as it sounds. Um, it's made one of the biggest improvements, I think, in my beers that I've ever seen. So, yeah, I did the, just some calcium chloride in the mash, little bit of of uh, lactic acid just to make sure that that pH was in uh, in line and I did uh, 4.6 grams of pickling lime and a little bit of baking soda in the mash. I didn't put any calcium chloride in the sparge. Uh, actually, it was only a little bit of lactic acid and then in the kettle, I added another 4.3 grams of calcium chloride. So really kind of going more malt flavor with just a little bit of stuff in there just to round off some of the roast character. Yeah, yeah. Mostly the other stuff was just for uh, pH issues and uh, make sure it's just kind of rounded, you know, like you said. And so we did just what basic primary fermentation, so two, three weeks to get it down? It was about three weeks, um, and I actually stalled out a little bit, but uh, it still kept chugging. So it just slowed down, wasn't necessarily a stall. Um, it was in there for about three weeks and I was at terminal. I didn't quite hit what I was going for. Um, my, I was supposed to hit, uh, 1.036 and it actually ended up 1.040 for my gravity. See, and I think this is an important part for a lot of these sort of bigger stouts is, you know, people will take a look at the terminal gravities. Denny talks about this with his Imperial Porter. Their gravities are higher than what they think they should be. So, you know, they look at them and go, oh, my God, this stopped at 1020 instead of, like, getting down to, like, 1010, 1012. That doesn't necessarily always mean that you have to get down there. I had a friend of mine who used to do these, you know, uh, black wine beers, he called them, which were mega stouts. They were were effectively pastry stouts before people thought of that term. He had one that started up around 1150, and the final gravity on it was 1050. People were like, uh, but that's too high. And then you go taste the beer. And, and with some of those bigger beers like that, you need that residual gravity to avoid like it turning just into straight booze. That's exactly it. Yeah. If, if I went down any lower on this, it'd be super thin and very boozy, I think. So 1040, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people think that's super high, but th- this beer doesn't drink like a cloyingly sweet beer, I don't think. I mean, this is still in that nine and a half, ten percent range, even before you get the addition of, you know, whatever you're getting out of the bourbon barrel. Right. You know, so bourbon barrels tend to add, depending upon how fresh they are and the size and the amount of, you know, about one to two percent anyway. You know, so I mean, you, you've got plenty of booze in there for sure. So we do the primary fermentation three weeks. We're into the oak barrel. We said for six weeks. Yep. Then into secondary for uh, a couple of days. Was it with the recirculation going? Two days on the recirculation, and then I kegged it. And then you kegged it. And then these bottles were uh, counter-pressure filled or just beer gun filled from the yep. keg? Beer gun. Yep, straight from the keg. So, And how old was this beer by the time it was judged? Um, let's see. So I brewed this beer on 19 March. And, and it was brewed at the end of July. Or sorry, judged at the end of July. Correct. So uh, just, uh, just a couple months there. A couple months. Yeah, still fairly fresh. That's the recipe notes. And don't worry, guys. We will have the recipe in the show notes linked on the website. 
so that you don't have to sit here and uh, furiously scribble and scrabble. Uh, but I do highly recommend that you, that if you're in the mood for a pastry shop, this is actually a really well done example. Yeah, nice amount of alcohol, nice amount of sweetness, but not cloying and not stupid. Any other comments that, that you have? Any tips about making this beer? Um, no, but don't. But feel free to you know substitute and and do what you want to with it. Um, the cool thing about this, and I think one thing that I really learned while brewing this beer uh, with the brewery was the uh, the use of very debittered chocolate malts, um, and it came out really nice. You know, you don't get that super roasty harshness to it, but you still get a, a nice roast and and some chocolate in the background. So if you're going to make some substitutions, I would say keep it in line with less bittered chocolate malts, and you'd be just fine. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Carafa, you know, those types uh, those types of malts. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. They, they tend to be, yeah, less bitter, less acrid. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's the big one, and particularly when you're going to make a big stout and you want to put some sweet flavors on top of it, avoiding any sort of acrid character is almost key. Yeah, it's paramount. And, Brandon, you got any thoughts? Just that this was a great beer. is well-deserved and well-earned, that's for sure. Cheers. Cheers. That's the discussion about the, the cruise crumbs. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about pastry stouts and our experiences with them. You know, like what you guys like, what you guys don't like. We're sitting here right now. We've picked up uh, another uh, pastry stout. You know, this one's got white chocolate and raspberries in it. And really, I think the heart of the matter is, to me, when somebody says, I got a pastry stout, you know, you're talking about like one of these sort of big, you know, 9 to 13%. I've had some of them that are like 15%. Oh, yeah. Sweet or at least sweet flavors. Yes. You know, so a lot of chocolate, a lot of vanilla, a lot of fruit, a lot of lactose a lot of times. Usually, yeah. Um, you had like uh, in the cruise crumbs, you had the adjuncts like the oats in there as well. Right. And to me, it's a style that it's like people got bored with Russian Imperial Stout or they got bored with barrel aged stouts. And they decide, okay, what's the next thing that we can do and we're somewhere else to go. And they start to play around with those culinary things to get... You know, to, to get some other flavors, get some sweetness or get some other things to approach to people to make them go, ooh, that's different. This one to me, this is a lot of, a lot of that big artificial raspberry type flavor. I would exactly. agree. I don't really get much white chocolate out of it. Not a whole lot. Um, I don't get any white chocolate, honestly. And in comparison to the cruise crumbs, this one, even though this is 9, 9.2%, this has to be... M- better attenuated because this one feels very thin super thin i would agree to me the hallmarks of this style are big chewy factor sweetness and i always think the worst ones are are sweet and and sticky oh yeah yeah that lactose that's what i was about to say this one tastes a lot like the artificial raspberry but with that residual sweetness they didn't take into consideration the lactose and the sweetness that kind of sticks around based off of that the bourbon comes through in the back end like right after you swallow you know, there's bourbon on the front of the tongue, but it's out of whack. Yeah, it definitely tastes better after you drink it. This is this is a thinner take on it. Now, I think the big pitfalls for the style are you either get someone like this where it gets super thin, and this is really dominated by that one flavor, that raspberry flavor. Raspberry is just so dominant. I kind of think raspberries tend to tend to give you a little bit thinner taste anyway just because of the acidity and everything like that it just uh it just gives your mouth a different flavor you know this one it doesn't feel like it has any backing behind it you know there's no you know there, there's not a lot of lactose in there if there is any there's not a lot of what i would call any of those you know sort of mouth feel uh, bodybuilding adjuncts like oats yeah it really does feel like this was hey look we made our stout we put it into barrels and then we added some flavors to it yeah, yeah. no i would definitely agree i think it's safe to say that if we're going to put some rules of construction around this, 
we're going to say, hey, you know, if you want to make a pastry stout, what, uh, what are we looking at here? One. Mouthfeel. Yeah, mouthfeel. So in order to build the mouthfeel, high mash temperature, you know, if it works for you that way, definitely some uh, some of those adjuncts you used maltodextrin and oats. Uh, so at the very least, I would I would almost always use oats. I mean, I almost u- always use oats anyway. I like oats in almost everything. The high mash temperature, like we said, the lactose to give some sweetness, but without a lot of a lot of sugary sweetness to it, and a lot more body. I think the chloride, you know, going going more chloride on your water. The water profile is huge as well. Yeah, and then if you really want that thing that feels thick you have to have a little bit of that residual gravity. Absolutely. So, I mean, in your case, your beer stopped, stopped at 1040. I've had, like I said before, others that stop at like 1050. And so you almost have to, by design, go big. I don't think you can make a sessionable pastry style. I don't, I don't think that's a thing that works. Interesting that you bring that up. That was uh, kind of been working on that. I've been toying around with that idea of... Uh, having a lower gravity beer with all these same flavors and and I still haven't haven't perfected it at all. My first attempt was it was okay. It was a good beer, but it's interesting that you mentioned that cuz yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. I don't know if it's possible. You what you'd almost have to do is you'd have to make a milk stout with a lot of lactose in it, I think. Yeah, I ended up doing um doing a lot of oats and in the base grain I I did do a lot of Munich as well. Um just cuz I think that gives it a nice mouthfeel, a little bit bigger body, but it still still wasn't quite where I wanted to be, so and then hops, just like in your recipe, not a lot of hops. Very they're, minimal. They're, I mean, they're not here to do anything. No, I mean, I don't think the, the variety even really matters. I don't think you'd want anything that's super floral or super fruity, unless that's what you're going for. But you No know, Chinook. Yeah, yeah, right? No Cascades. <laughs> you know, Magnum, super clean, nice, easy bittering. That's it. Yeah, and so like we said, get a yeast. You know, if you're going to go for lower gravity, get a yeast that's relatively low attenuating. I'm still surprised that the San Diego Super didn't keep uh, keep chugging. I, I am too, actually, but yeah, it worked out. People know I'm a big fan of tinctures. You know, so I like I like making tinctures with vodka and then using those to dose in a very controlled fashion. You obviously did the recirculation thing, but in reality, I mean, the recirculation thing is just making a tincture. It's you're just using you're using the alcohol that's in the beer to do the extraction. What else is necessary for a good pastry stout? I think you got to have flavors that are harmonious with what you're trying to put out. I mean, this raspberry one is just very one-dimensional, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting much of anything other than just the raspberry, where if they'd, they'd layered different flavors in there, I think it would have been much better. It reminds me a lot of like a, a shandy. To me, the funny part is I would never guess this is 9, 9.2, but I don't think I would ever really seek this one out. I definitely would not. Let's talk other things about pastry stout here what are some of your favorite pastry stouts what are some of your favorite producers of pastry stouts oh man i mean pastry stouts are huge right now i'd say my favorite absolute pastry stout that i've ever had to this date was barrel aged papinski from angry chair out in florida if you hadn't mentioned angry chair i was going to mention angry chair oh man no angry chair is on my radar hard right now trying to do trades and everything like that for those guys, man. I, I can't get enough of their beers. So the people Wait. out there listening, you know, hit us up. Hi, Desert Homebrew is anonymous. <laughs> My sister actually lives five blocks from the oh, Angry wow. Chair. Hey, Drew. Yeah, hey. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so when we pop on those Angry yeah, Chairs. what's going on? And for those who don't remember, earlier this year, Angry Chair got into the news because during Tampa Bay Beer Week, they ended up having lines spilling out of the brewery. So, yeah, uh, Angry Chair is, is great. Bottle Logic, which we have a bottle uh, sitting right over there. They do uh, fantastic pastry stouts. Phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Brandon, what's your favorite? <laughs> I mean, Angry Chair this year has been the only thing on my mind. I had it in the beginning of this year, and I can't think of anything else since then. 
you know, a lot of stuff from um, like Surly um, has been good. Um, Horace. Yeah, Horace. I do, I do think Angry Share kind of has to dominate the national conversation about that yeah. because that's great. But that does leave the the opening there to the audience. What's been your favorite pastry stouts that you've been having? Uh, where where are some great producers that are undersung? And what do you think are, are keys to this? But I think what we should do before we go away is I think we should have that bottle logic. Uh, I, yeah, I think we idea. should. I think we should uh, go away from this beer and and have that bottle logic. This one should be dumped. <laughs> that was rather lackluster. Yeah. And so now, of course, you know, figure we should close out the uh, the tasting with actually a really good example of sort of a, a simple pastry stout from Bottle Logic. And which one is this? Uh, this one's Fundamental Observation, FO. It's just a, uh, a barrel-aged vanilla stout. I say just, but uh, this is like, this is one of the very sought-after beers that just, just, I just love. Yeah, if you don't live here in Southern California, when Bottle Logic does a, a release, it's kind of insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all of their beers. They actually produced quite a bit of this beer this year, um, which was pretty cool because uh, I was fortunate enough to get my my fair share for sure, which I can't say for a lot of the other Bottle Logic releases this year. Uh, and of course, Bottle Logic is down in Anaheim, and if you're in that area, not only do you have Bottle Logic right in that area, but you also have Hopperazzi and Green Cheek. Oh, and the brewery. The brewery is one brewery. of my favorite. And uh, I mean, the brewery actually just started doing uh, some big pastry stouts they're releasing in cans, and they got a couple other things coming up this year. I think they're going to put put them on some people's radar for sure. So this is uh, Bottle Logic FO, and how big uh, how big of a beer is this? Uh, thirteen two, I think. Let me double check that. It's just a tiny beer. Just yeah, a little yeah. beer. Yeah, thirteen point two percent. See, and right away on the nose, what you get is that vanilla bean leather. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not the the super sweet vanilla. It's it's actually the leather of the bean. Well, I I do know. Um, I know that they put beans actually in the barrel for these beers, so I think that's where we're getting a lot of that leathery flavor. Well, and this one certainly lets you know that this is a big beer. Oh yeah, I mean, it's got that mouth feel. Yeah. And also, I mean, uh, that heat in the back end. I mean, there's uh, there's definitely some warmth there on the tongue. Got some barrel for sure. Not cloying. The vanilla gives a perfect sweetness right up front. Yep. And then we drop back. And actually, this is surprisingly, to me, particularly for something at 13%, it does come down to a relatively thin finish. I, mean, I would agree. And, but not in a bad way. No. I mean, like the other one that we had, that one was thin and just kind of died off. This one hangs out there with a little bit of that bourbon character and a lot of that vanilla flavor. Just kind of hanging in there for you to get to the next sip. But none of the none of the sugar is still there to make you go. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. They also had a variant with maple in it. I love maple stout, but the only problem is with maple stouts is that they're either too sweet with maple or they're too dry. Definitely try that out. Have you ever made a maple beer yourself? No, I have not been brave enough to do so. I've done a porter. I've done a maple porter. It was uh, pretty good. I don't really care for the maple that I used. Uh, it was a little woody, I guess. Um, whereas some of the maple I've had before was a lot. A lot better, but it came out pretty good. Well, see, to me, the problem with maple is trying to actually capture. I mean, like to your point, I mean, maple is pretty much just straight sugar. You get into a beer where the yeast are still healthy and moving, they're just going to take it and turn it into nothing. And then, yeah, all you're left with is kind of the smoky, woody tones. Right, right. One of the things I've recommended to people in the past is if you can get your hands on fresh fenugreek, it's actually what's used to make maple extract, maple flavoring. Wow. Really? Yeah. I so did not you, know that. If you get a good example of fenugreek and you crush it up and you soak it in some in alcohol, you will actually get something that smells and tastes like maple without the, without the sugar. I'm going to have to try that. You got to make sure you get the right sort of fenugreek because I've had other fenugreeks that when you, you go and do the same thing with it, 
well, they end up tasting grassy, like a green flavor to yeah, it. Yeah, as off. But if you if you get the right fenugreek in there, just a little bit of soaking, a little tincture, and it's like suddenly it's like, hey, that's a maple vodka. Now, is there uh, is there different varieties of fenugreek? You know, I don't know. All I know is I, I I've gotten it from like some Middle Eastern stores, which is the stuff that's really worked very well, and I've gotten it from other places. You can find it in like uh, herbal supplement tablets, but don't do that. That's way too expensive. Oh, yeah. And those always come off more grassy. So they may be different variants or it may be age or it may be, you know, something else about the treatment process to it. Right. But I, I like to just get fresh fenugreek seeds and roughly crack, crack them in a mortar and pestle and then put that in vodka and then give it, give it a sniff and you'll be amazed. It smells like maple syrup. Definitely going to have to try that. Any other comments here about the, the bottle logic? Like, what do we get? Pure deliciousness. <laughs> Like I said, this is thinner than than the the cruise crumbs that we that we started from you. Oh man, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> but I mean, this is this is thinner, and in some ways, even though this is thirteen percent, I think this is one of those ones where like you could keep drinking this until uh, you got yourself agree. into way too much trouble. <laughs> it would happen pretty quick at thirteen point two percent. Yeah, I was going to say yep. take uh, two bottles. Yep, with the cruise crumbs because of that because of that residual body. That one's a little bit of a slower mover, right? You know, like Agreed. that's that's more of a sipping beer. This one, I think you could almost drink way too fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It happened at the brewery. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, right. That brings me to the point. Which of those two approaches do you guys prefer? Uh, I prefer the thinner or, or the thicker bodied uh, mouthfeel. I mean, I, I honestly, if like I said, when I redid this beer, I was going for even more of a mouthfeel than what I got here. I don't know. I think uh, one beer that I could think of that has the mouthfeel that I was really going for uh, would be if anybody's ever had Bottle Logic uh, Leche Baracho. That one to me just has this incredible mouthfeel that just almost chewy, you know? I mean, I, I let my wife try it, and she's not a beer drinker at all, so I, I just let her try things so I can see her reaction because it's hilarious. But she even looked at me, she's like, man, I need like a fork and knife for this, you know? And uh, that's really what I love about a pastry stout, and I, I think a, a hallmark of the style, if you will. I think that's, and I 100% agree, because um, I kind of refer to them more as dessert stouts, because in my opinion, with dessert, you're going to want to enjoy it. It's going to be after a big meal, and uh, you just want to sit back and sip it you know, it's not like a lawnmower beer where you're out there pounding these bad boys down or playing beer pong or anything like that. It's just uh, sitting around talking and enjoying the flavors and seeing what you get out of these beers. You know, now that you've said that, you know that somewhere in the U.S. a fraternity house is doing beer pong. with That's a fraternity stuff. I want to join, by the way, guys. I'm down. <laughs> Here's my thought. I think maybe what it is is I think it depends upon the complexity of what's going on with the flavors that you're adding to the beer. I think with the cruise crumbs, with the fact that you're building, you're building in those cake flavors, those cinnamons, those vanillas, and all that, in such a sort of a structured way, you need the sweetness. Right. Right. Yeah. I think with this one with the FO, you know, because this is relatively straightforward with the vanilla and the bourbon in it, yeah, it's still giving you a sweet desserty type feeling, but not with you know, like all of these other flavorings added to it. You know, none of the nuts or, or anything like that. I think maybe this this sort of style is served by being slightly thinner, yeah. Because th- this this pushes to my mind halfway between a traditional Russian imperial stout and you know this the sort of the more pastry stout like like what you did with cruise crumbs. Definitely, yeah, hundred. So th- this is kind of in that halfway ground. I would agree because you can still taste the Russian imperial stout in this beer for sure. Absolutely. Any other thoughts that we should talk about either on pastry stouts, on cruise crumbs, on the competition, or the your homebrew club, or whatever? 
I mean, like competitions wise, guys, if you're not entering competitions, I highly recommend it. Um, I mean, I've been brewing for six years, but this is uh, this is only my third competition. So, you know, you get valuable feedback from people that aren't just going to tell you your beers are amazing because they're your friends. Critical feedback, and, and as long as you can take that constructively, you know, you can you can become a much better brewer that way. It's good times, man. Yeah, it's all good times. Definitely. Well. Hey, thank you so much. Congratulations again on the win. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for uh, sitting down and sharing a couple of beers with me and uh, talking about some pastry stouts. And uh, guys, if you have ideas out there for pastry stouts, something that you're going to do, uh, tell us what you want. Is there something that we missed when we talked about this? You know, is there a favorite that you have out there that you know people might not know about? And you know, what are what are your thoughts on pastry stouts? Or I know there are some people out there who are listening to this who are you know radically opposed, and there are some people who are huge fans. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at one very successful homebrew, one not-so-successful commercial beer, and a whole trend that's happening right now. What do you think of the pastry stout movement? Hype train overload? Something new and interesting to try? Give us a shout and tell us what you think and what you'd want to try and do in an oddly-flavored stout. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. Now, don't forget, you can also support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, click the Amazon, AHA, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Nowazad, an organization helping dogs in Afghanistan and the soldiers who love them. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files.